was listening, I was thinking, who are these people <laughs> that are talking about? Um, I don't remember um, all that much, but it's great to be with y'all. Amen. We're from New Hampshire, which is southern. So y'all are part of our What do they call the, the um, higher... What do they call the people from uh, this area? <laughs> it used to be like the lowlands, the highlanders, highlanders, something like that. That's Scottish. Yeah, that's anyway, but it is great to be together with you, and I know some of you are looking at us like, who are these people? And I understand that, and sometimes look in the mirror and ask myself, who are these people? Uh, we are really, really, really excited to be with you this morning. Uh, it's like a, a treat for us uh, to come up and spend some time with you and share some things that we've learned, that God has taught us. Uh, and we've been asked to talk about hope. And it's not hope worldwide. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're wondering, it's about hope in God. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so the title for today's lesson is The God of Hope. Because that's who you and I serve. Uh, we have a chance, we've been in the ministry for a good number of years, and uh, God has put us in a position now where we uh, serve the Freedom Point Church, which is the church in New Hampshire. And there's about, we have two ministries. One's about 45, one's about 140-ish. <coughs> And uh, then we meet periodically together. Um, God has been kind to our church. And I appreciate that our church is like, sure, go up to the Vermont. Go ahead. Yeah, do, you know, do whatever you got to do. It gives us a chance to spend time with you. Mm-hmm. And you got a beautiful country. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is gorgeous. Uh, we were driving up, and it's been a while. We were just driving up like, man, it's so beautiful up here. It is just so gorgeous up here. We were reminiscing the winters we came up, <laughs> and the winters were driving back. Like, oh, I think this is where that snowstorm was. We had a hard time figuring out how to get down from the mountain, kind of thing. Uh, but such great memories, such really fond memories. Um, the slaves, of course, moved from the last time we were here, and so finding their house with GPS was really intriguing. <laughs> to do that, I thought I knew how to get there, um, and now all of a sudden it takes us on this dirt road, and we're like. Where are we going? <laughs> Which direction are we going? And then after we got there and enjoyed a great time with the group last night, as we're driving home, they're so far out in the country, our GPS wouldn't tell us where we were. Oh. And so uh, I think we made a left-hand turn here, but I'm not sure. And Oh, there's the covered bridge. Okay, we're heading in the right direction. Um, but they were out there. And so it's just a whole different experience, but it was great to be with the, the, the core servant group last night, just to talk honestly and catch up and eat burgers. And um, I'm take, I'm, I've hit my midlife crisis, and so I've taken up hunting rather than buying a Mercedes or BMW. Oh, okay. And so yeah, I grew up in the city, never even, you know, never, never killed an animal, so hunting, why? I don't know. My kids can't believe Dad is hunting. Um, and yet, so Patton, I've been after them for years, like, you have all that land. And I'm sure there's deer on that land. <laughs> and I'm sure they're a nuisance. So I'd be glad to come up and help them. You know, thin out the herd and they've been really protected. But I think this year might be an opportunity to sit in the woods and compete with the ground squirrels and, and the birds and the ticks. Um, it might be fun to sit out there and see what happens. The church in New Hampshire is doing great. God is blessing the church. Um, like every church, we're going through our growth spurts and things we're learning about God and about each other. Um, but it is a, it's a, God has blessed the church, especially through COVID, uh, to help us try to navigate through that difficult time as well. It, I really appreciate what you shared, you know, Pat and Caroline. Mm-hmm. That was humbling. 
because I feel so unworthy, and yet I, I've loved the times that we have come up here. And there's so many new faces of people I, you know, I haven't met yet, and I look forward to meeting meeting you afterwards. So it is a real pleasure uh, to be here and uh, to to share with you. And I first thing I wanted to uh, let you know is, you know, we have two children. Just a little bit about us, uh, the Fix family, and we have a son who is 33, and he's married. They have two children, uh, a four-year-old and a one-year-old, and they live in Kittery now, Kittery, Maine, and so we're so happy they were in Atlanta before, and and then we have a daughter who's married uh, to a guy named Justin, and they live in Gainesville, Florida. And we're trying to get them to move up this way. Uh, but they just purchased a house, and uh, but they're uh, down there. And uh, I, I was, you know, when you brought that up as far as Kyle coming up here, he stayed for a summer and worked for the campus. And uh, it was a great time. It was with the maze and the wells, and some really, it was he a lot of great about cranking. Huh? Cranking? Oh. oh, yeah. He's a master at that. He is. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's very good at that. So, um, But, uh, you know, we love being grandparents. It's wonderful being grandparents now. And we love having our kids up here. Not half of them up here. So. But uh, they, you know, Kyle has a lot of fun here. Uh, the text that we're going to focus on today is Romans chapter 15. So if you want to open up there, we'll begin to read it in just a minute or two. Uh, as a church in New Hampshire, we've been studying Romans. Uh, for the last seven months, uh, we've been studying. We have four different guys who have been teaching it, and myself is one of them. And so we spent time really digging in to the text and the history and things like that. And I, I do think, in looking back... Um, the response of the church has been amazing. To, to see the similarities that we wrestle with today being compared to similarities to what they wrestled with in the first century is pretty eye-opening, pretty faith-building, uh, pretty, pretty sobering. And so I'm going to give you a little background on, of uh, what was happening in Rome. But before we do that, let's start reading in Romans chapter 15, verse 1. <clears throat> At the end of this reading um, is the text that we're going to focus on for the day. Starting verse 1. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. So that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then. Just as Christ accepted you, in order to, pr- to bring praise to God, for I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made by the patri- or to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, 
that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice you Gentiles with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will spring up, one who will rise to rule over the nations, in him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul's writing is such a rich text. You think about it. You, you, you could spend seven months with this text, breaking it down and understanding what it's talking about here. And I'm going to give you some background that may help you understand it. We found that to really appreciate what was in the letter, it was very beneficial to understand what was happening in the church in Rome. And so I'll give you a couple of things. One is, Paul, when he writes this letter, he, he mentions God. Over 150 times, which means the name of God appears about every 46 words. Mm-hmm. Now think about that for a second. That means that God is important in these 15 chapters that he's trying to get across. Mm-hmm. And he's talking to the church in Rome, and he's writing to a church that he had never been to. Think about how challenging that is. Mm-hmm. You're trying to advise, help a church, work through things that you've never been to. Now, you know, some people, we know in, in Acts, uh, not Acts, but Romans 16, he knew of people that were in Rome, but he didn't know everybody. And so he's trying to help them navigate through some trials that the church is enduring and going through. So what are some of those? Well, Claudius was emperor of Rome. And uh, Claudius, you have to understand the Roman emperor mindset. Um, Caligula was emperor before um, Claudius. Tiberius was before um, Caligula, and each one of them were murdered by their successor. All right? So imagine that you're Claudius, who was the uncle of Caligula, who was a pretty messed up emperor. I mean, he was, read history, that dude was messed up. And so you take him out. All right? You have the guards kill him, and then the guards swear their loyalty to you. Now, you've got to be a fool to think. Well, if that happened to the prior emperors, there's a good possibility that that could happen to me. And so who do you trust? Nobody. Imagine living a life where you can't turn your back on anybody. So Claudius is emperor. He did a really good job. He was emperor for a long period of time. And then, towards the end of his life, this group of Jews start causing, stirring problems in Rome because of Christus, which is Latin for Christ. So all of a sudden, these Jews are causing problems in Rome, and they're claiming that this Christ is king, and you know that all the emperors prior to you had been killed. What are you thinking? There is an uproar about to happen. Rome has a history of people protesting against the government. And I think it's 157 or 137 B.C. The women of Rome protested and rioted against the government for being suppressed. 
And over the years, they ride over food and ride over protection and ride over the economy and things like that. So they had these uproars. So here you are, Claudius. i got to watch my bed. They're claiming there's a new Messiah. There's a new king coming. So what does he do? So in 49, he kicks them, all the Jews, out of Rome. They're expelled from Rome. Paul had never been to Rome, at least not for the church's sake. And so, most likely, in Acts 18, you can find this, most likely, in a conversation he's having with Priscilla and Aquila, he's beginning to understand the dynamics of what's going on in Rome. But here's the important part you've got to understand. The, Ro- the Roman church is made up of three different groups. And they don't meet in hotels like you're meeting in. They meet in homes. And so the groups were Jews who decided to follow the teachings of the Messiah, of Jesus. And we would call them Christians, Jews who became Christians. So they followed circumcision, dietary restrictions, festivals. So it looked like it was a Jewish group that just kind of adhered to or adopted the teachings of another rabbi. Okay? Like you had the Zealots, the Essenes, the Pharisees, um, Sadducees. And so you had all these groups that adopted the teachings of a rabbi. So here's another set called the Way, by the way. <laughs> and so, so what happens is, he's like, i got to get rid of this group, so I'm going to expel. He's not thinking Christians. I'm going to expel all the Jews. And they leave. They're gone for five years. Until Claudius dies and his edict is ended. The church continues to grow. So you have Jews who became Christians. Then you have Gentiles, non-Jews, who became Jews, converted to Judaism, circumcision, dietary restrictions, and so forth. And then they start adopting the teachings of Jesus and they become Christians. So you have Gentiles who became Jews who became Christians. Then you have Gentiles that became Christians. And you may say, okay, think about this. The ones who knew, they didn't have a Bible, right? So they weren't sitting in church with their Bibles and their phones or in a book. They, the Jews had it memorized, so they're the ones teaching the church. They're gone. Right? They're gone. And so the people left are Gentiles like, so, okay, God's in control. We're going to build a church. And so, but the church begins to shift from a Jewish feeling to a Gentile culture. All right? Now, picture this for you guys. Let's say the Slaters and the Shoffs and the Leaps, the Meters, and the Hollies. Uh, Hollies. Hollies. Right? Yep. Thank you. Okay, I've been away for a while. <laughs> Let's say that the government says um, they have to leave Vermont. Right? They, they can't, and they're the most, they know the scriptures. They've got it memorized. They're the most influential people in the church. They do the most teaching in the church. They help guide marriages. And, 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 the, Rome, and, and the Vermont government says we are expelling them from this state. They cannot be in this state. They can't be in communication. They have to, their houses are empty, they leave their jobs, they leave their friends, they leave the church, and the, and the church is left with the rest of you. 
And let's say you don't really know the Bible all that well because you don't have a Bible to read. And for five years, you're left to figure things out. And then those five couples come back after five or seven years. And they walk back into the church of what they remembered experiencing five to seven years before. But it's different. This Gentile church now has added things, like wearing shorts to church. We never wore shorts. <laughs> no way, man. You always wear long pants and a tie when we went to church. And so now, and they clap during singing. Sacrilege. And, and, and they, 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 you know, people, women are doing things in a worship service, and, and all of a sudden, it's like these things, and you feel uncomfortable because it's not what you've experienced all those years when you were leading and influencing the church. And then you folks who are sitting here, who've been here all those five or seven years, look at it like, but look what we've done. God has helped the church grow. We've done all these great things, and, and it's amazing. And so all of a sudden, you've got this conflict going on. And probably the worst group in there are the ones who were Gentiles converted to Judaism, converted to Christianity. <laughs> because they're saying, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I went from Gentile to Jew. I was circumcised. I followed the dietary restrictions. I followed the Old Testament laws and the festivals. And now you're telling me you can be part of this church and you don't have to do that. That's just not fair. That's just not right. And so when Paul's writing in 57, about 57 AD, it's a couple, it's years after the Jews started trickling back into um, to Rome and, and you've got this inner turmoil going on in the church where they're like, well, but are the Gentiles really Christians because they haven't been circumcised or they don't follow dietary restrictions or, or have, have this, is this group? And, and so all of a sudden, what happens in that group? What happens in human nature when that goes on? You get judgmental. Yeah, but they're not doing this. Yeah, but they're not doing that. Yeah, but, they're, but we did this and that was good back in the day. When I became a Christian in 1983, we had Sunday school class for the singles. We had went to church Sunday morning. Sunday night we had church. I, after a while, uh, I, I was asked to lead three Bible talks. So I had a Bible talk on Monday night, a Bible discussion group on Tuesday night. Wednesday night was midweek church. Thursday night was Bible talk. Friday night was devotional for singles every other Friday. And Saturday was your day off, and it was the day to go on a date. Okay? That's my experience. So if I'm gone and come back, it's like, they're not meeting Sunday nights anymore? What's up with that? There's no class on Sunday mornings? What's, what gift? They're not doing midweek? What's going on here? Imagine if the first century Christians came back today. They're watching on television. You can sit in your home with coffee in your pajamas and go to church? Like, that's sacrilege. How does that work? That's the dynamic that Paul is addressing in Rome. That's why when you read it, and he says things like, the strong overlook the things with the weak. Be patient with them. It's so important because they're judgmental and they're looking at each other and they're, they're judging one another. Follow me? Okay? And never mind the outside influences. 
Because what's happening is after Claudius dies, Nero, the warped one, becomes emperor. <laughs> First couple of years, he's not bad. Then he starts persecuting the Christians. And so the Christians had grown in prominence to the point that they were identified not as Jews, but as another sect. Think about this. The Romans uh, approved, I think, 27 different religions. You didn't have to be in you know, a <coughs> church or temple, but you couldn't be part of a group outside the 27. So now there's number 28, Christians. They're not approved by the government. And so as Nero do, he sets them up, and then he, he goes and persecutes them. This is that dynamic of the church in Rome that Paul's addressing never being there. Wow. Think about that for a second. Mm -hmm. Never being there. And he's writing a letter to help them. <clears throat> and he goes to him and says, be patient with one. Love each other. Serve one another. Build each other up. All these things he's writing because he knows, I've got these three groups that are in conflict. How do I bring them together? His solution's really simple. I'm going to mention God. Every 46 words. <laughs> I am going to inundate this letter with God and with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to help these people focus on God rather than on the things that cause division among them. You with me so far? Okay. Does it make sense to you? Okay, awesome. And so, so he writes, and so in chapter 15, just as a little, a little window, uh, what he's writing here is he's, he's writing, he's, he's talking to me saying, look, honor God with your relationships. Don't become enemies because of your opinions. In our day, 2023, opinions oftentimes breed enemies. Not even we'll tolerate differences. No, you're an enemy if you don't agree with me or think the way I think. That's happened in the first century. We think we're creating all this stuff. We're just repeating history. That's all we're involved with is repeating history. And so in chapter 15, he says, I want the strong to be patient with the weak. Uh, please your neighbor for their good rather than yourself. Um, he says, realize everything that is written in the Old Testament and the New Testament is for you so you can build your life and understanding it all has a purpose rather than judging one another accept one another just as Christ accepted you. No. Realize it was God's plan. It was God's plan to bring Jewish Christians, Gentile Jewish Christians, and Gentile Christians together <coughs> to form one body. Yeah. Yeah. Understand this was God's plan to be able to evangelize and to change the world. You see my friends, if you look at if you look at verse 13 where he says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then that text, that one sentence makes sense. I love that passage. And it, I'll read it again. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And I want to focus on this one little section in the, in the verse that says, Fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. And what is so key, you know, God is the God of hope. And I love what Mike was talking about, how it's been referred to over and over and over again in the book of Romans. How the God is the God of hope. And trust is key. Mm-hmm. Trust is key. Yeah. And sometimes trust is so hard for mm-hmm. us to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it talks about, you know, like in Proverbs 3, is trust in the Lord with all your heart. Mm-hmm. You guys, this can be challenging at times. Yeah. Right. It's challenging at times to trust. Especially when we don't see things going the way we think they should go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And... We get afraid, and maybe we don't like how things are going, and so we kind of take charge mm-hmm. and do what we think needs to be done, and whatever else sure. we might do, because we don't trust. Mm-hmm. And for me to get to know you, I, I need to learn about you, I need to see what you do, find out about your see if you're a person of integrity. You know, I've got to build some trust. Mm-hmm. And with God, what God wants is for us to know Him. Mm-hmm. He wants us to know Him. We must know God before we're ever going to trust Him. Right. Mm-hmm. And the only way we can do that is through the Scriptures. Mm-hmm. And in John 17, 3, uh, Jesus is praying it says he prays that 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 we will come to know God, come to know Him, yep. and to see that He is the only true God, the God of hope. He's the only true God. Right. And so I wanted to focus on a couple of these words. Joy. Joy is one of them. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we interchange the word happy. Right. And you hear a lot of people, you know, you ask them, what do you want out of your life? I just want to be happy. I just want to be happy. And the thing is with happy, which is a gift from God, is it is, it's something that's light. It's a Hebrew word. It's a, there's a lightness, you know, when you are around people and you're laughing a lot or you're watching some comedy show or whatever. There is a sense of lightness that comes about with happiness. But the thing is, with happiness, it's circumstantial. It's circumstantial. There's a time of happiness, but it's not long, long uh, suffering, you know, or it will happen for a long time. And so when we have this goal, I just want to be happy in my life, you make that your goal, it's, it's just, it's, it's not appropriate, really. But it's appropriate when it's, you just enjoy those moments of the gift of God, of just being happy. Yeah. Embrace them, you guys. Yeah. When you have times of happiness, embrace it and enjoy it. <coughs> enjoy it. And John, I mean, in James 5:13, it says, "Is anyone happy? Let him sing songs of praise. Yeah. Just you know, relish it, enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Now, with joy, joy is not." 
John 15, 10 and 11 says, If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Mm -hmm. Jesus wants us to have true joy. True joy, deep in the soul, deep in your soul. Biblical joy comes from understanding who God is. Ooh, back to John 17, 3. To know God mm-hmm. is to, when we go, get to know him, we start to trust him. We start to trust him. So understand who God is, his promises, and an awareness of his grace and what Jesus mm-hmm. has done for us. That's right. Nice. It all comes back to this, you guys. That's right. There's depth. Depth. And in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 2, Paul says, In all our troubles, my joy mm. knows no bounds. Mm. Mm. You go, what? Yeah. You know, so you were talking about that too. What was, what was the thing you said there was a, the, um, about joy or something, you know, because you've been going through a lot Rich of suffering. So, uh, what was it called? Okay. I'll remember it <laughs> later. But <laughs> sorry. But, um, you know, just even in times of trials and hardships, mm-hmm. that we can be joyful. We can be joyful, you guys. Come on. Mm-hmm. Then there's peace. Mm-hmm. There's peace. When we trust God, when we know God, we have joy, and we have peace. Mm-hmm. And the peace. John 14, 27 <coughs> says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give as the, to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Those two words, troubled and afraid. Boy, they, they mess up our sense of peace. And many times, you know, you can be troubled with what's happening in the world. You can be troubled maybe with something going on in your home or at your job or at school. Or maybe there's something that's causing fear in you. Mm-hmm. And that's going back to God. That God's got your back. God's got your back. And one of my favorite words is a Hebrew word. is for hello and goodbye. Do you know that word? Shalom. Shalom. And it's one of it's become one of my favorite words. And let me tell you what it means. It means peace, harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, and tranquility. Let me say it again. It means peace, harmony, wholeness, completeness, prosperity, welfare, and Let's think in. What an amazing word. Amazing word. God wants us to have this eternal, internal, sorry, internal joy. He wants us to have internal peace. Internal peace. And the internal peace is this quiet and calm state of Psalm 46.10, it says, Be still 
and know that I know God. There you go again. Know God. Trust God. Know Him. Something that, you know, He has given us, besides wonderful fellowship and friends and the church and the Holy Spirit and everything, is He gives us prayer. Prayer is amazing to help us to stop and to think. And something that I do a lot of is I meditate. I meditate. Psalm 119 is filled with referring to meditate. Meditate on a phrase in the Bible. Just one phrase. Meditate on one word. I meditate on shalom. I'll just... You know, listen to that, listen to that, listen to that. You know, just that word and what it means. I love to, to meditate. And it changes the way we think. Yeah. And I love to talk about the way we think. Yeah. And the brain. And, you know, when you learn more about what they're learning in science, mm-hmm. it increases your faith. That's right. It will increase your faith. And I wanted to just... The, it says scientists are showing through tests that the way we think we can change the physical nature of, your, of our brain. As we consciously direct our thinking, we can wire our toxic patterns of thinking and replace them with healthy thoughts. Our lives tend to, be, to imitate the thoughts that we entertain the most consistently. We feel what we dwell on. Our focus determines our feelings. Whatever holds our attention molds our intentions. So, you know, in Ephesians 4, 23, it says, it says to be made new in the attitude of your mind. It's a transformation. And it doesn't just happen, you guys, overnight. This is something... Consistently, you know, I've been a Christian 41 years, and it's a drop in the bucket. I'm 66 now, and I'm still learning how to do this, how to change my mind. And sometimes things happen that come at us, and I'm going to talk about that. But just it's, that, it's learning how to starve the negative. That's right. And what's so cool is God gave us this incredible brain that we can change mm-hmm. the way we think. It can slowly just dissipate. It will be gone. It's amazing what can trans- transform us. And God's word is to do that. And God wants our minds and our hearts to be filled with joy and peace. And God of God's word I'm going to talk about the external things that happen that rob us. When you think about this, uh, you know, in your life, you know, with joy and peace, and there's external things that happen around us, and think there are things that you have no control over, right? But there are things that you do have control over. You're an adult, you know. You, we make our own bed. <laughs> And we determine our, our actions, our thoughts, what we're going to do That's in right. our life, and learning how to own it. It's our life. Right. You know? 
Can't blame anybody else. But God gives us tools. Amazing tools. And I've had to learn tools. You know, I am a uh, introverted, uh, they call it a highly sensitive <coughs> temperament. I tend to be a little bit more melancholy, a little phlegmatic. I, you know, so I have to really work at this, you guys. It just doesn't, woo, happy go, lucky. I'm like, no, it's, it's had to really go after this. Well, one thing that I do is I, if I'm really troubled, you know, or afraid, or what, you know, what Jesus is talking about, I will sit down and I'll go, what is robbing me of my joy and my peace? Mm-hmm. Awareness is so important, you guys, because mm-hmm. sometimes we just go from the next thing to the next thing, and we don't sit and stop and be still with God. And what is it that's robbing me of my joy? What's robbing my peace? And write those things down. Write them down and pray about them. Meditate to change that. And why is that bothering me? Why does that bother me? Talk to somebody that can help you. And find scriptures that counter it. A lot of it is Satan's lies. And bringing out the light. Bringing out the light. I am a highly empathetic person, and I want to take on everybody's stuff, you know? And I had to go on a sabbatical seven years ago because I'm so burnt out. I can't do this anymore. So I had to learn to have boundaries, healthy boundaries. And to, even with my environment, I had to learn to not watch so much news, you know, declutter. Um, Figure out, you know, just being out in nature, having space in my home. I'm like, I can't, you know, sometimes we get, we, we get so like, I need to go on vacation. I need to go on vacation. No, learn to have your vacation in your home. Make your home a place of peace and tranquility. Now, I don't know, you know, what your home is like, but finding some little place, maybe, <laughs> uh, to, to have that or getting out for a walk or whatever it is. And, being around people that bring me joy. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, you know, whether it's work or school or whatever it is, sometimes they're draining you. And have people that you can enjoy. I have to do that. I have to think about, you know, sometimes we have conflicts. And, you know, I hate it when I'm not at peace with somebody. It drives me nuts. I, I can't go to sleep. And so I, I've got to figure out how to resolve that. You know? So these are just little things. With Mike and I, we don't talk about ministry. I tell myself, I can't talk about ministry before I go to bed or anything like that. Just that's no more. <laughs> he, can, he can talk about it and then get in bed and go to sleep. <laughs> I can't. I'm ready over it. journal. Whatever is going to help you find that sense of peace and that joy. Go after it. What do you value? What do you value in life? You're busy? 
I mean, some crazy things are happening in your life. You're really busy trying to get some time before and after to kind of decompress and then re-engage. These are all things I've tools I've had to learn as I walk with God, you know, to help me to have that sense of peace and that sense of joy in my life. Laura took a test on and came out with the, the uh, revelation that she's a highly sensitive person. That doesn't mean that you can't say something to her and she gets her feelings hurt. It just means that she's very aware of things around her, people and colors and light and all that kind of stuff. I took the same test, and I came back that I am a highly insensitive person. Um, she scored, I think, 26 out of 27, which is the highest score, and I scored 5. And so if that gives you any clue of God having a sense of humor to put us together. <laughs> I think it's rather entertaining. May the God of hope fill you. He's right in the church in Rome. People said no. And he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of of the Holy Spirit. That's what it says. That's the solution. Church, you got problems? Individuals, you got people, you got problems? May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. You know, there's a passage that I've memorized years ago because I was going through a hard time and it made no sense to me then. And truthfully, it doesn't quite make much sense to me now. It's in James. Consider it pure joy when you suffer trials of many kinds. Like, that doesn't make sense. Be joyful when I'm suffering? Like, it's just, but we understand joy is not, this like, be happy when you suffer trials of many kinds. Be joyful. Have that mindset that, that my joy doesn't rest on my circumstances of the moment. And he goes through in that text, he closes out with, and there is hope. The God of hope provides hope. He gives hope. And we need hope, don't we? I need hope. I need to know there's something better than today. There's something better than this moment in time. There's something down the road for me that there is something even greater. When Laura and I were dating, I'll never forget, I was probably insecure, and, and so we're talking about, we're talking about breaking up, we're talking about if we break up. And she said, you know, I'm just convinced that if we break up, it's because God has someone better for you and for me. Now, I'll be honest with you, um, that sounded really spiritual at the time. <laughs> it wasn't overly comforting at the time. Um, but it made sense in retrospect. <clears throat> We're together now. Amen. Which means that was the best thing that God had in store for her. <laughs> or, <coughs> she's the best thing that he had stored for me. <coughs> he knew what I needed and who I needed. But there is hope. <coughs> it's easy today to despair. Let's be honest. It's real easy. You don't believe me? Yeah, just read a newspaper. I don't read the news. I don't go to websites to read the news. I just watch YouTube, and that can create despair. All right? Just YouTube can create despair. And, and despair... It is so difficult and so challenging, 
and, and there's so much despair in the world. Don't you feel it? I feel it. I feel so, just, people are hurting. People are confused. People are angry because they're looking for joy and peace and hope in all the wrong <coughs> things. Laura's going to retire at the end of this year. I, I got a couple more years ahead of me, and so I'll, I'll continue to serve in the ministry. But, you know, we're facing, well, stock market's having some rough times right mm-hmm. here, and so what do we do well, now? If my confidence, my hope, my peace rests on the stock market, right. let me tell you how my life's going to be. It's going to be up, down, up, down, up a little bit, down a lot. Up, you know, it's going to be like, can you imagine living that way? The despair, the insecurity. But if my confidence is in the hope of God, He will take care of me. I don't have to worry about those things. You follow me? The God of hope. I read this. It's, here's here's a, a piece of an article, a story. Someone tells of a meeting in a certain church at a time of an emergency. The meeting opened with a prayer by the chairman. He began his prayer, Almighty God and eternal God, whose grace is sufficient for all things. When finished, he began the meeting by saying, in quote, Folks, the situation in this church is completely hopeless, and nothing can be done. <coughs> now, either his prayer was empty words, or his statement was untrue. How can you pray to the eternal God and understand all he has done, his creation, everything he's done, and the hopefulness that that gives, and then turn around and look at your situation and say, but it's hopeless. You can't. It's impossible. You can't if you're concentrating on the eternal God, the almighty God. The God who's created everything you and I get a chance to see and experience and believe. Claire Booth Luce wrote this. It has been said long ago that there are no hopeless situations. There are only men and women who have grown hopeless about them. Think about that. The situation isn't hopeless. It's my mindset towards that situation as being hopeless. You like this one? Illustration. 2017 Super Bowl 51 at halftime. Atlanta Falcons 28, New England Patriots 3. Yeah, we got to go there. Yeah, we got to cut the feed. Here. <laughs> okay. So the truth is, I have this rose hat. And so 28 to 3. Yep. At the party, Super Bowl party that we were at. <clears throat> Die-hard Patriots fan. I mean, we have a slew of food. We're playing, you know, these kind of games to guess, like when is the first time out called and who scores first. And we have these sheets we're playing with. A blast. 28 to 3. We are getting crushed. Die-hard Patriots fans in our group, about 20 of us, start leaving at halftime. The game is over. And they go home. We stayed because there was money given out to the winner, so I was competitive. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that's competition now. So I, I think I actually did one. Not winning. Um, so at halftime, 28 to 3. Everybody gives up. 
Patriots come out at halftime, and Tom Brady is caught saying, gentlemen, now we get a chance to make history. And lo and behold, if you're familiar with the facts, they made history. If you're an Atlanta fan, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I shared this in Atlanta. Didn't go over. There is something in Christian hope that no matter the circumstances, not all is lost. And that something is that God is alive and well. Hope is to trust in God's promises. Hope and faith are intertwined. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. You can look in Hebrews chapter 11 if you want to look at it. No man or woman is hopeless as long as there is the grace of Jesus Christ. And no situation is hopeless so long as there is the power of God. You're in Rome. First century. There's not something big like this. There's four to five house churches meeting in people's homes. And you're looking around. And you've got Jews who are Christians who were kicked out and came back. You've got Gentiles who became Jews who became Christians. Then you got Jews who became, I mean, Gentiles who became Christians. And one did it by faith, one did it by circumcision, and one was born into it. And you're kind of like, this is hopeless. We can't agree on even conversion. And Paul says, the God that we serve is alive. And he provides hope. He's the one. He's the one that you need to look at and concentrate on. I found a story that I'll close out this morning with. And I'm sorry we're going short this morning. Pat told me I had two hours. Uh, Come on. Yeah, I hear that little simmering kind of loud. <laughs> 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 I'm One of those five leaving. <laughs> at home, so. But here's the story. The school system in a large city had a program to help children keep up with their schoolwork during stays in the city's hospitals. One day, a teacher who was assigned to the program received an, a routine called asking uh, a routine call asking her to visit a particular child. She took the child's name and room number and talked briefly with the child's regular class teacher. We're studying nouns and adverbs in his class now, the regular teacher said. And I'd be grateful if you could help him understand them so he doesn't fall too far behind. The hospital program teacher went to see the boy that afternoon. No one had mentioned to her that the boy had been badly burned and was in terrible pain. Upset at the sight of the boy, she stammered as she told him, I've been sent by your school to help you with nouns and adverbs. When she left, she felt she hadn't accomplished much at all. But the next day, a nurse asked her, what did you do to that boy? The teacher felt she must have done something wrong and began to apologize. No, 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 uh, said the nurse. You don't know what I mean. We've been worried about that little boy, but ever since yesterday, his whole attitude has changed. He's fighting back, responding to treatment, and it's as though he decided to live. Two weeks later, the boy explained that he had completely given up hope until the teacher arrived. Mm -hmm. 
everything changed when he came to the simple realization and he expressed it this way. They wouldn't send a teacher to work on nouns or adverbs with a dying boy. Would they? She was just doing what she's supposed to do. She wasn't thinking about inspiring and providing hope and kind of inspiring him to live. She's just going into teaching about nouns and, and adverbs. And by simply doing that one gesture, the message he got was, you're going to be okay. Because they won't be investing this time if you're going to die. You're still alive. There's a lot for you to do. And if you sit here and kind of are hopeless, take a look at the God who provides hope. The God who gives you hope. That's right. A tradition that Lauren and I have when we travel in the car, and it can be a short distance or a long distance, is we ask each other, we have a race to see who does it first, but the question is always, what are your hopes and dreams? It's not, what makes you happy? What do you want to do? It's, what are your hopes and dreams? And so we're driving in the car, coming up to Burlington, Vermont, following our pattern, and looks at me, and I'm thinking, I should probably ask her what our hopes and dreams are, but we do it all the time. And then she looks at me at that same split-second moment, she says, Mike, what are your hopes and dreams? No. <laughs> 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 yeah. it's, it's after the lunch hour, and we're still about 40 minutes away, and I'm like, my hope and dream is that a restaurant we can get to has a table available for us so I can eat quickly because I'm really hungry. But we start talking our hopes and dreams. Where we want to go, what we want to do after retirement, who we want to spend time with, the church, our family, our grandchildren, our lives, our health, all those kind of things. And we start thinking, now, if you know, when we first started doing this years ago, I would add up the dollars invested from Lord's hopes and dreams. I was just saying, well, I want to go to Ireland. Oh, yeah, it's $3,000. I want to go here. Wait, I can't, in my mind, I can't do this. We can't, but they're hopes and dreams. Mm-hmm. One time we sat down and we started kind of going through a mental exercise of what were some of our hopes and dreams? And we began to realize how many of them were, were, were lived out. Mm-hmm. And we walked away and said, you know, these were hope, these were like impossible hopes and dreams. That God over time, worked in such a way that provided us an opportunity to realize them. My kids living in New England, that was a hope and a dream, my friends. That was not something going to happen. They wanted us to move to Atlanta. We didn't want to move to Atlanta. And so this whole thing about, we, we want you, and we're praying, God, please, let's get close together. We pray they come up here. We're not ready to go down there yet. And, and God works it out where they choose to come up. To be close to us. Now, I think the reason is we provide free babysitting and so there's incentive there. But you understand what I'm saying? It's the hopes and dreams. So this morning, I ask you, what are your hopes and dreams? What are the things that you're not, not sitting here today and you get it all worked out? What are your dreams for your life that God will do in your life that it may take a month? a year, a decade to be realized. But you walk away and you say, this is my hope. It may seem crazy, but this is my dream. This is what I believe God can do in my life. 
and then 10 years from now, five years from now, take an inventory yep. and look back and say, man, he did things even beyond, even beyond what I had envisioned. Mm -hmm. Because my confidence was on my bank account or my health or my right. education or where I lived in my family. My confidence mm -hmm. was in the God mm -hmm. of hope. Amen. Let's pray. Father, come before you as we read this text and think about the church in Rome. It is just so humbling. It's so humbling, Father, to not believe. It's just so humbling, Father, to even doubt. When we think about the various things that were going on in the church in Rome that Paul's trying to deal with, and, and yet, Father, how you miraculously work things out. We look at this letter as being one of the most faith-building, strengthening letters in the New Testament and it was to a church that was having inner struggles and turmoil mm -hmm. because of outside influences and inside influences. Mm -hmm. Father, we, we're sorry. We're mm -hmm. sorry that we, we, we doubt you at times. We're, we're sorry, Father, that we don't trust you. And we know that our walk with you, whether it's one day, one week, one month, one year, ten years, four years, is all purposeful That's right. so yeah. that we can grow in our trust of you and our confidence in you that we can have a life of joy and of peace and of hope. Mm -hmm. Father, we just thank you for the example of Jesus. Thank you for his willingness, his willingness to come down from heaven, to walk on this earth, to deal with the stuff he dealt with, yes. and ultimately be killed so that we'd have a chance to be called your children. We love you so much. We thank you for every blessing we have. We thank you, Father, most of all for your son. And it's in his holy in his precious name that we pray. Amen.